Welcome to the Pet Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, and I'm here with my friend and co-author and colleague, Nancy Saxton Lopez. And this is a broadcast that we do every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. It's an opportunity to bring the learning that we gained over many years, decades of facilitating pet loss groups in New Jersey to a broader audience through this broadcast medium. It's also an opportunity for us to share with you the book that we wrote, which is a compilation of what we learned through all of that experience. And the book is called The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. And it's available on Amazon and, and other outlets. And we love the experience of having an exchange with people. So please feel free to send us your questions, your stories, your suggestions for guests to join us on this half hour broadcast. And we're very interested to hear from you. And if you do send us a story, we'd probably very much like to share it with our audience. So let us know if we can. And if we if we can, we may very well do that. And if it wouldn't be comfortable for you to do that, just let us know that as well. And we right. won't. We certainly are fine with that. We will respond to your email. One or both of us will respond to your email and give you our insights if you ask a question. You can reach me at kenddv at gmail.com. You can reach Nancy at N Saxton Lopez. That's N-S-A-X-T-O-N-L-O-P-E-Z at csmpc.com. And we like to also let everybody know that this program is a friend of Dakin Humane Society, which is in Springfield, Massachusetts. Dakin is a 501c3 community-supported animal welfare organization that provides shelter and medical care and spay-neuter services and behavioral rehab for more than 20,000 animals and people each year. Since opening in 1969, Dakin has become one of Massachusetts' most recognized nonprofits and a national leader in animal welfare. And you can learn more and also give a donation to Dakin at D-A-K-I-N-H-U-M-A-N-E dot org. And also I want to let you know that I am doing an on-site pet loss support group once a month at Dakin. And it happens to fall on the second Tuesday of the month, which is the Tuesday that's coming up right upon us. It is. It will be Tuesday the 10th at 6 o'clock, runs from 6 to 7.30. And if you'd like to learn more about that, go to dakinhumane.org. You can RSVP and it would be great to have you join us in person. Also, if you like this broadcast, you can give us a, you can give us some support there's the information on Venmo where you can give us a one-time support donation. You could also subscribe if you're so inclined. You can also subscribe on YouTube. And that's always helpful to us because it helps other people learn that the program is offering value. So I will stop there and Nancy will take us into so the topic. Gonna, yes. So tonight we do have, um, we're going to share um, one or two stories that we got, but we thought we'd start a little bit with compassion fatigue. Um, and compassion fatigue starts with stress. Now, we all have stress. We probably have had more stress over so many of the last so many years. Mm -hmm. um, it is our, a response to pressures. 
that we experience. Um, it's a feeling of emotional and or, or physical tension. And it's reaction to challenges, right? Um, it may come from an event or a thought or a feeling, and you can get very anxious and frustrated or angry. Stress can be good, getting married, having a baby, you know, um, getting a promotion, right? Getting but, a puppy. So, getting a puppy, <laughs> getting a kitty, right? Getting a um, but that's good stress, but it also are other stressors that are more problematic, which can lead to burnout and compassion fatigue. Now, these two terms are really intertwined. Mm -hmm. To simplify it, sometimes people say burnout comes from where you work, what, you know, where you are. And compassion fatigue comes from what you do. So in the mental health field, if you are working at a community mental health center that there are a lot of demand for counseling and you're doing that counseling and you're seeing quite a few people a day and that's you know counseling problems, right? Where these people have such problems, then you can have burnout and compassion fatigue at the same time. Yeah. So burnout is a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's you feel overwhelmed, emotionally drained, unable to meet any demands. Yeah, burnout um, is kind of like end stage, right? Well, compassion fatigue can be too. And get um, it's also physical, emotional, and psychological impact of helping others. So not only in any of the free nursing fields, you know, AIDS, mm -hmm. um, you know, hospital workers, you know, animal uh, shelter workers, animal shelter workers, yeah. um, uh, veterinarians. I mean, they're, yep. they're, you know, doctors. I mean, any of those folks are working with people and animals to take care of them. Um, and with the veterinarian staffs, I mean, it's not only the animals, but it's the human pet parents, right? That also are taken care of. Um, and so it can be also a person in a home who's got elderly parents that are, are yep. ill and yep. little kids. Okay, yep. so so you're giving something, you're caring for someone. Um, uh, so there can be um, a lot of different symptoms that come out of um, experiencing burnout or, or compassion fatigue. When people start to have difficulty concentrating, um, they feel discouraged, um, they're hopeless, they're irritated, they're exhausted, they're annoyed, um, they can increase their drug or alcohol use. They don't have any any satisfaction anymore. Right. Know, they're not. They're kind of diminished in their enjoyment. Um, they have a reduced. Now, this is the key for compassion fatigue. You don't care anymore. You don't have any sympathy or empathy. That's the end stages. Right? That you just can't. You just don't have anything left. Right? One of one of the things I think about with with these experiences is that it is often the case, particularly as they advance burnout and compassion fatigue, it's often the, the circumstance that other people are more apt to recognize it than you are. Yes. Because you're so diminished and you're so caught up 
in, in trying to keep it together and trying to do what you've got to do that you don't see all of the kinds of, all the kinds of debilitated behaviors that you were just describing. And so it's very important if you are in the role of caring for others, if you are in the, let's say you're a, a dear friend of somebody whose pet has recently died and you are trying really hard to take care of them and to support them and, and you're feeling exhausted from it and all that stuff that, that Nancy mentioned, it's important to try to catch it yourself, but listen, if other people say, I feel like, I feel like we're losing you. I feel like you're, you're just, you know, not yourself anymore. You're, you're just really having a terribly hard time. Like really listen to that and try to and, do and, some and of those healing things that exactly. you'll talk about. And then we're going to talk about that briefly too, but mm -hmm. there becomes an emotional numbness. Yep. And of course, you know, we are, Ken and I are mental health, behavioral health people, and we've been that way for that's our careers. And, you know, a so- A very, very long time, Nancy. We're very, very old. <laughs> yes, we, we've been down this road many, 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 many years. Um, but, you know, we, it, we have to be careful because if we give out too much, We'll say we will use the cupboard analogy, right? Uh -huh. You give everything out of the cupboard, there's nothing left to give. Yeah, and you so got to you got to have stuff in there for you. You got to take yeah. care of yourself. So, um, but that's what happens. You you feel you feel a failure. You got sleep problems. I mean, all of these things can come out of that burnout, compassion fatigue kind of you know state, right? Um, so there are stages of compassion fatigue. Um, there's in the beginning when you're new in, in the field or you're new to helping somebody or you're, you're, you really feel, you know, that you're happy about hel helping this person whose animal has died. Um, there's a zealot state, right? I'm going to be there. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be with you. I'm going to call you now. Okay. It's incredibly gratifying to yes, be it is, yes, of value it is to another person in that of way. Course. Right. Yeah. But what happens if that person who's helping the, the person with the pet that's died has an elderly parent who's dying, who has a kid that's acting out in school, who mm -hmm. has somebody in, in, in um, somebody close to them is, is very ill and, and there has to be some travel, you know, taking that person to doctors. In other words, they've got a lot of stress. They've got a lot of stuff on In addition life. to the fact that they're trying exactly. to be really supportive of this person who's just so lost that, somebody. Then what starts to happen and there becomes a stage of irritability. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, my God, I have to do all this. I've got to get I've got to go here. I've got to do this. I've got to take this person here. I've got to make sure I see you know, my friend, you know. And then what happens is when you start to really own all of those things, it can create you to withdraw. So all of a yeah, sudden you you're like, fall, you begin to falter. Yeah. Yeah. But then the end stage is the zombie stage where you just don't have the ability anymore to take care of anything. So going I think through the, going through the motions, right? Just about So that's when it, it's important to get it at the irritability stage, right? Mm -hmm. So that you realize that you're not doing well and you're kind of pissed off at this now. And you say, oh, why do I have to, why can't somebody else drive, you know, Mary to the doctor, you know, when you recognize that, then it's important to get some help, mm -hmm. right? Or to 
to have some resources to um, to access, right? Um, so what you want to do, because now you know, is first of all, anybody can talk to anyone, especially a therapist, go to a group, talk to, you know, people in your in your life that you can really rely on and say, wait, what's going on with me? I need some help. And, and, and start to really maybe delegate, right? Some of those things. Yeah, back um, off a little bit. I mean, a lot of what you need to do are the self-care practices right. that you have found healing throughout your life. And they might be very different things for different people. And and this is also where I think it's it's useful to point out that self-care is important for caregivers. And it's also vitally important for people who themselves are grieving. Exactly. So right? the, yeah. So there's very big parallels between going through your own grief process and recognizing how hard it is and giving yourself the opportunity for respite, for distraction, for right. time spent in nature, for all the things that might be key to the way that you keep yourself well and balanced in general. And also that's physical exercise. Yep. Yep. That is nutrition, trying yep. to get enough rest, yep. um, journaling. You know, I've, I've had clients with a lot of anger get a punching bag. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that they literally, it's, it's really important to get it out. Right. Yeah. So that angst and anxiety and anger. Um, so, and that's part of that physical attention. Um, gets, you know, hobbies, trying to yep. get distracted with something yep. new. Yep. Um, Playing an instrument, listening to music, yes. Perfect. all kinds of things that, that things that, that feed your soul, whatever those things exactly. may be cooking. Yes. Any all, of these all kinds things. of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a brief overview. Um, you want to be kind to yourself. You want to access and nurture and get uh, and nurture your supportive, you know, um, um, things that you may be able to do. Stay connected to meaning or give yourself a sense of purpose. Right. Um, because if you can't, you're not going to be able to give anything if you have nothing to give. And 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 also, I think to realize that you cannot you cannot fix the world. You cannot yeah. save the world to, because some people become so entrenched in the notion that they have to give of themselves that they can't see anymore that they don't have anything more to give. They can't yeah. see it. And you have to put limits on what you're going to give to others. If you're going to be able to survive actually yourself. Exactly. And, and that's very hard for some people. And it's, it's something that we, that everybody in a helping profession has to struggle to learn and to keep front of mind that you can only give so much. You have to take care of yourself. Take, and yes. a lot of times the people who are inclined to be helpers are very, they're just constitutionally not so well attuned to taking care of themselves. Oh, tip, very typical, very typical for our field. Yeah. Or the yeah. nursing field, you know, medical yeah. field. Or, you know. or just some, some friends will give and yeah. give and give and give. And, and they, they don't see where at some point you have to pull back and take care of yourself. Yes. 
And it, it doesn't mean that you are in any way betraying the friendship or not being supportive. It means that you are a human being and you, yes, that's you right. need to be nurtured and you need, you need to take care of yourself as we all do. We all are human beings. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to talk now about Vivian. We are okay. so, um, you know, pleased to be able to share her story uh, with her bunny. Um, and now we have a bunny we're going to talk about. Um, I had two rabbits who were so important I to me know. until just a few years ago. Right. They lived to be nine. And then it was almost like they reached an expiration date. One was lost. And then a few months later, the next, but they're such wonderful, gentle little creatures. But they were Belgian. Belgian? They were Flemish giants. They oh, were Flemish giants. big, big. They were brothers. They were, they were brothers. They, they couldn't live in the same enclosure. They couldn't live in the same paddock because they would fight, but they would nuzzle each other through the, through the, the through fencing. The oh. <laughs> it was like, it was a true situation where good fences make great neighbors. <laughs> they could not be trusted to be in the same enclosure though. So they would be, they lived parallel lives and they would kind of nuzzle each other through their- But they died very wives. close to- they died very close. Very yeah. close in, in, in age. Yeah, very yeah. close. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is from Vivian. I've stumbled upon your podcast, and I'm so thankful to have this precious resource to help me deal with my most recent loss. I have a question I'm very curious about. And of course, I'm okay sharing any or all of the elements of that question. I've been dealing with health issues the past two months, and that and they are still ongoing. I'm off work for, an, for another few weeks and I take pain medication besides doing physical therapy and visits to the hospital. I lived with my bunny and Vivian, I hope I'm saying this right, Lapanu, who turned 10 years old last March, we were inseparable. Last December, the health of my bunny degraded and after several runs, tests and shots at the vet, the vet's conclusion was that he was healthy and just aging. He started losing weight and being incontinent needed more care than ever before. Over the next few weeks, I had to get more familiar with the idea that his time was running out. Though it was a thought, I kept pushing off. My health also hindered me on some days to take care of him properly. I tried my best but the guilt phase of my grief likes to come back to this. My bunny died in the night of Sunday to Monday. So this was two days ago. Now she wrote us a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It's still very fresh and painful, especially since I kept pushing off the idea, idea he, he'll eventually die. I nursed him until the very end as his health declined rapidly over the past weekend, using and changing baby diapers not sleeping for the entire weekend, letting him rest next to me in my bed and on my heating pad I use and need for my back to keep him warm, giving him water and food several times per hour and preparing him pain medication for his arthritis symptoms. When I turned off the light to get a tiny bit of sleep, he woke me an hour later and he was dying. I couldn't help him with the sudden onset of pain. All I could do was hold and kiss him and I'm thankful to have been there for him until his last breath. 
I spent the entire Monday petting his soft fur as much as possible and drove him to the vet today, feeling it was time for a cremation. Coming back to an empty home and cage, the weight of the past events came down crushing on me. I lay down in my bed and literally couldn't move for a good hour. I'm dealing with a very disruptive sleep pattern now, and I'm trying to sleep in short naps whenever I feel fatigue to catch up on accumulated fatigue these past days in between my emotional turmoil. Besides the emotional grief, tiredness, and immense headaches from crying so much, my other physical pain has spiked immensely. I'm taking my normal amount of pain medication, but they're no use. My back pain and lower body pains are excruciating. I even wonder if during the past weeks I was masking my pain and condition, which I thought was really bad already, to take care of my bunny, having had no outside help whatsoever, especially during his final days. And it all came crushing down on me the moment I handed his body over to the vet. Or if my current emotional grief also triggers or heightens my existing pain symptoms, or a combination of both, or even other factors coming into play. On my bad days or pain spikes, I used to pet him, and the touch of his soft fur brought me back to the present moment in a sort of mindfulness way to stop focusing on the pain, besides the serotonin boost I got. I'm using a stuffed animal he really liked to hold on to, but of course it's not the same. I really appreciate some thoughts on dealing not only with the emotional turmoil, but also the varying physical effects grief can have on our bodies and what could be possible solutions to help with pain and sleep during this very hard time. Thank you for all the work you do and thank you for doing the podcast. All of my best wishes to you and your fellow fur friends. So this was really, now this goes into some, some sort of compassion fatigue too, right? Because she was had to take care of herself Right. And her yeah. bunny. Yeah. I mean, she, she gives a really rich depiction of anticipatory grief. Yes. Where she knows it's coming, but she kind of doesn't want to know it's coming. And all of this extraordinary care that she was giving. And during that time, it's fascinating. And it's also somewhat typical that her own pain sort of took a little bit of a back seat. That's the yeah. way that I would think about it because she was so focused on giving to Lapanu, if we're saying his name, his name correctly, that, that she wasn't pre as preoccupied all the time with her own pain. <clears throat> That's a fairly common experience, I think, because we only have a certain amount of attention to mm -hmm. give. And if there's something that's demanding our attention, like our great, her great love for her friend, who she's trying to care for, it makes sense that that might take away some of the focus on her own pain. And it seems to me like she's doing a lot of great stuff. Like she's, yeah. she's got a kind of a surrogate in the stuffed animal. I mean, one of the things that she mentioned, which is so key is when we, we've talked about this, when you touch a pet, when you touch their fur, it brings you into the present moment. Exactly. It lets you, it lets you, focus on the here and now in a way that can break preoccupations with the th kinds of things that you might be worried about, or in her case, even the extent of uh, the great degree of her physical pain might be diminished a little bit by that. And, and she's recognized that while she doesn't have him, she can sort of get something close to feeling 
close to him with a stuffed animal. And some people would be very unlikely to do that because of the, of the associations to childhood, but it can be a really helpful thing. Many, many, many people will talk about how that's helpful to them. And some people will do something a little different where they'll have maybe a tuft of fur or mm-hmm. they'll have a, a collar or a toy that their pet had. But I, I think that grief, you know, grief brings all kinds of symptoms, not just emotional symptoms. It's going to, grief is a massive stress. Absolutely. And so if I'm the kind of person and I am who has back problems, they're probably going to get worse when I'm grieving. Stomach problems, headaches, there are physical, there are physical attributes to grief that are specific to our own stress signals and they can be anywhere in the body, but it, it often would, would be the case that when you're alone with your grief, she's no longer preoccupied with actually giving care that all hell might break loose in terms yes. of the amount of pain that she's experienced, because now that's all there is. is the well, right. She doesn't stress. have, she doesn't have the care. care of. Yeah. Right. She doesn't have him to, to focus on. So right. it's very, it's very, understandable that she might experience because because again grief is emotional but it's it's everything the emotional the physical all of these things are very tightly interwoven the spiritual so it makes it makes a lot of sense and and i'll I'll, the way i look at this is she just needs to keep doing what she's doing taking the best care of herself seeing her own care providers doing the things that she's doing that are providing some relief and then thinking about other other things she can do as well that might add to her relief. Well, I, I also want to point out, and we talked about this before we started the podcast, is, is she initially said that she was, okay, I tried, let's see, uh, my health also hindered me on some days to take care of him properly. I tried my best but the guilt phase of my grief likes to come back to this, meaning she did not feel right that she really had done enough. Then you go down, right? When when she's saying it, she didn't sleep, she gained pain medications. You know, she made sure that he was on a heating pad. She I mean, had him wearing diapers. She was checking him constantly. Yeah. So yeah, she has no right to feel guilt, but yes, yet she does. Yes. Well, because that's <laughs> what we do, right? That's what we do. She was the quintessential pet parent, yeah. right? And so she did everything possible. Yeah. She couldn't. Do it. I mean, it, it, there is a there is a paradox in this, and. People who do, who go and do everything possible, always feel like they could have done everything more, more than that. Like, but that's every story we have, right? Yeah, I mean, and that always happens. They feel guilty. I mean, like I said, she has no right to feel guilty, but yet she does. Of course, I say that tongue in cheek because, because she she was an amazing, amazing caregiver. And but you know, that's not gonna. She just has to walk through her own path when it comes to coming to terms with this and as we all do as we all do oh my goodness so we're we're really thankful to Vivian yes Vivian very thankful for you sharing this and and for those of you who who have not had a rabbit they are very loving gentle creatures so everything that she talks about is so resonant with my own experience of having rabbits are the most gentle of souls and 
very wonderful little creatures. And hers lived a very long life, by the way. Yeah, very I don't know. What, what is the life expectancy? That's, that's, that's long. That's exceptional. That's so long. for it depends a bit on their size generally. But, you know, sometimes rabbits only live four, five, six years. And so to have a rabbit who lives to be 10 is, is pretty, pretty much a statement of the extraordinary care that she gave, gave to this friend. Well, and we, we are sorry for her loss and, mm -hmm. but she is doing the right things to try to, to get through this grieving for this. Yep. yep. So I guess, I guess we'll stop there for, yeah. This evening, Nancy, and once again, it's always a great yes. conversation that we have. And we very much appreciate the the stories that people get, send and to us. We've got us. a couple more that will be we will be bringing forth in the next uh, the next program. Yes, we will. <laughs> okay, take care. Take Thanks care. again, Vivian. Bye.